dive into God's Word with you. Um, have you ever had a superhero moment where all of a sudden you had this sudden burst of strength where you had to save the day, you had to kind of have one of those those moments? I had my dad's superhero moment a few years ago at Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn is a water park down in New Braunfels. Uh, we used to live nearby and we had season passes. We went there all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, me and my son went down there and we spent a couple of nights and spent some time there uh, enjoying Schlitterbahn. Um, I'm not bitter at all, but we came back and I'm the only one that sunburned in places I can't reach, which means he didn't get me very good. Um, and I'm still mad about that. We're working on it. Um, but several years ago, we were at Schlitterbahn and I was going to take Emma on the Black Knight. Emma is my middle daughter. At that time, she was about three and she was tall enough for it, like maybe on her tippy toes. But we were going to take her on this ride. Um, and it's your classic water slide, two people to a tube, enclosed um, kind of thing. And she's a little nervous, you know. And so uh, we, we're going to go down this water slide. And she gets, it's our turn. She gets in the front and I get in the back of this tube and I wrap my legs around her. Now the way this water slide works is you go like down and then it hangs a left like that. And so the idea is you go down and kind of up and around and down and you kind of twirl down to the bottom, that's the, that's the water slide. But uh, me and my daughter, we, we get in this, this tube and we, the water swells up around you and starts to send you down and we go down and we hit that turn, but I guess our tube didn't have enough water in it or enough of the air in it and it, uh, it folded in half and it spit her out into the tube. So then I dive out of the tube in the water ride and I grab her with my left arm, the tube's on top of us, I'm sitting there with my daughter in my arm. I throw the tube down. There's no getting back in that thing. Uh, and here we are. And I call up to the top. We didn't go down very far. I call up to the top and I said, help, we're stuck in here. And I know they didn't hear me because what I heard was the next people getting in their tube ready to go. Uh, so I, uh, I, when I realized they didn't hear me, I pulled her close. I, I brought her in close. I put her in front of me. I grabbed on tight. I told her everything was going to be okay, even though I was sure that it wasn't. Uh, and I, I, I just held on tight. And here they come. They come down. They hit me in the back. It wasn't a big deal. We just went down the, the ride really, really slow. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but that was my superhero dad moment. The ride was broken. The people who were supposed to fix it didn't. And so what was I going to do about it? I brought her in close, and I held on tight. Now, this last year and a half, two years, as we think about our world, it feels like a malfunctioning ride, doesn't it? Uh, the ride is broken. Somebody get me off this thing. I don't want to be on this ride. We want it to be back to normal, but honestly, it's not. And we've seen the, the pressure mounting in, in people. Uh, some of us had the privilege of going to youth camp several weeks ago. And in their youth camp share time, the youth shared about um, mental anxiety and depression that they're going through that all kind of started in the middle of this lockdown year. And we're hearing from them that, that while we may feel a sense of freedom and and, and our society and th things are starting to kind of come around a little bit or whatever, it's not over in the minds of people. Um, they're struggling, and, and it's not just the youth, it's also 
adults, one report, one source reported that people exhibiting mental health disorders like anxiety and depression, adults in America, in, in 2019, it was 11%. In 2021, it's 41%. 41% of adults in America are exhibiting symptoms of anxiety and depression. That's almost half. That's almost half. Another poll reported that Americans are the unhappiest that they've been in 50 years. The warning sirens are going off. Something is not right. And and we want to blame like the pandemic. Well, coming out of the pandemic, that's like a once in a lifetime, once in a several generation, once in a hundred years. Like, like we want to blame the pandemic and sure that added to the pressure. But I believe that the pandemic didn't cause as much of that as it revealed it. The pressure and the brokenness was already there. Gallup poll reported that our world took a negative turn in 2017. Worldwide unhappiness spiked. So this poll sought to measure things like stress, anxiety, worry, anger, physical pain, things that cause unhappiness. And almost every single one of those categories took a... a, A sudden spike in 2017. That has nothing to do with the pandemic. And it's worldwide. It's not just like one little part of society. And so what that tells me is that statistically, we're an unhappy people. But like we know that anecdotally too, as we think about our world. Like I could throw a rock in here and I could hit somebody who's dissatisfied in their marriage. uh, We could easily find somebody who is, is suffering... Anxiety because they see the way our society is going and it causes them all of this stress. They don't want our world to be going this way. What are we going to do about it? Uh, We could find somebody in here who is stressed out, anxious, depressed about their kids. Whether it's your adult kids and the choices that they've made or, or your young kids and parenting them and the choices they're making. How do I do this? We could find somebody in here who's dissatisfied in their physical health. I bet we could find some people in here who you've reached an age and you're like, man, my life is half over and this is, this is where my life is? These are the choices that I've made. This is the direction I'm going. That, this is it, huh? And we, we reach like a level of dissatisfaction in our lives. So statistically and anecdotally, we are just like an unhappy people. We would describe our world, we could say, the ride is broken. And the world is threatening to undo us. What are we supposed to do about it? That's what the Bible is going to show us this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 10. And what we're going to see in the Scriptures this morning is when the world around us is threatening us, when we feel like the ride is broken and we, we want to get off, what are we going to do? We're going to draw near... And we're going to hold on. We're going to draw near and we're going to hold on. And so the book of Hebrews was written to a group of believers who were tempted to fall away from Christ because life is hard. And so someone writes the book of Hebrews and they explain, they show these people that Jesus is better than anything that they could leave him for. So we're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look in verse 19. Look with me. It says, 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now we're going to stop there, that is an incomplete sentence. He's not done with his thought. But what he's doing is, he's, he started out with therefore, he's trying to show us everything that I've said before this is leading to this moment. He's made an argument already that we skipped because we started in verse 19. Let me give you a brief summary of what he's just said. The author of Hebrews has just argued three things. One, Jesus is a better priest. So Old Testament Levitical priests made daily sacrifices for the sins of people. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the nation, one sacrifice for the nation. But these sacrifices were forever. Uh, they were daily sacrifices. They were annual sacrifices. They never stopped. Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is a better priest because when He offered a sacrifice for sin, um, what He did was He... He died and then He rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven and then He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the reason He sat down at the right hand of the Father is because His work was done. There were no more sacrifices to be made. Jesus is a better priest. The second thing that the author of Hebrews has just argued is that Jesus provides a better covenant. The old covenant required rule-keeping and when we didn't keep all of the rules, we had to make a sacrifice. And these sacrifices were forever. The problem with the Old Covenant is that the people's hearts were flawed in such a way that they couldn't keep the rules. And they didn't really want to keep the rules. And so the New Covenant is a better covenant because God gives us a new heart. He gives us a heart made out of flesh, not a heart made out of stone. And now God's people want to keep His rules. God's people want to obey Him. So Jesus provides a better covenant. And Jesus, thirdly, offers a better sacrifice. Because Jesus' blood, when He died on the cross, the blood that He shed for us allows us into God's presence. Before, only the high priest could go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in this building. But now, through the blood of Christ, we can enter in, not a building, but we can really enter into God's presence because of the blood of Christ. We have access. And so... What the author of Hebrews is doing, he said, because of all of those things, he says, since we have confidence, that word confidence, uh, that, that word can mean um, boldness, or uh, maybe even better, authorization, permission, since we have authorization to enter into God's presence because of Jesus' blood. This is the argument that he's making. The way that this text works is now he's going to give us three commands. Because of everything I just said, three commands. The first one is in verse 22. Look with me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The first command that he gives us is draw near to God. Because of all of these things, Jesus is better. Draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Boldly, confidently, joyfully, unbothered by doubts that God might kill me if I come into His presence. I don't have to worry about that because 
I have the blood of Christ that gives me access. Our better priest has offered a better sacrifice, which allows all of us to draw near. So the first command out of this is draw near to God. The second command is in verse 23. Look with me, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the second command is hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Now, if we're going to cling to hope, we have to figure out what hope is. And the Bible uses the word hope differently from the way that you and I use the word hope. See, when we use the word hope, there's like a measure of uncertainty. You know, this summer, my kids have wanted to go swimming. And we'll say, I hope it doesn't rain, because apparently it's going to rain every day uh, this summer in Texas for some reason. I hope it doesn't rain, but there's a measure of uncertainty, right? I don't know if it will or not. That's not the way that the Bible uses the word hope. Biblical hope is certainty based on sure truth. I can stand on this truth because the one who made this promise, he's faithful. He's not, he's not going to fail, so I can stand confidently on this truth. He's promised that he'll save me from my sins. I can stand confidently. He told, he told me that everything works out for my good, even though I don't understand it. I can stand confidently. My hope is in him. My hope is in that, those things because he made those promises. And then he says, hold on to hope without wavering. That doesn't mean that you never sin. That's not what he's talking about there. What he means is that you hold on to hope without giving up. He who promised is faithful, no matter how bad things look, hold on to hope. Don't give up. Don't let go. The third command is in verse 24, and, and it's draw near to one another. Draw near together, but I want you to notice that in verse 24, that is actually not the command that's given in the text, but you'll see what I mean in a second. Look in verse 24, it says, let us consider, see there's the command that we consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. The command in verse 24 is the command to consider. To consider means to think about ahead of time. To contemplate. To plan. Not spontaneous, not think of things on the fly, but to plan. Consider how to do what? How to stir up one another. Your Bible translation may say something different. It may say something like promote. It may say something like spur on. It's really interesting. This word is actually only used twice in the Greek New Testament here in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's actually used in the book of Acts in a really different way. So two people in Acts, there's Paul and there's Barnabas. Okay, they're two missionaries and it says that they got into a disagreement which caused them to go two separate ways. The, the word for disagreement is this same word. There was something that was uncomfortable that happened, and it led to some sort of action. Here, it, it really means the same thing. To stir up. You understand the word, uh, some translations, uh, they choose spur. You understand the idea of a spur. That you, 
you make the horse a little bit uncomfortable and it causes them, it springs them into some sort of action. That's the idea. It, it really is to bother someone. So we're being told to plan out how we're going to bother each other. To bother each other to do what? He tells us to love and good works. To plan out how we're going to bother each other to love and good works. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is manifested by good works. So we are to plan out not how we're going to do good works, not how we're going to love people by doing good works, but we're to plan out how we're going to bother other people to do love and good works. And then he follows up with a warning here. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The reason he follows up with that warning is because we cannot stir up others to love and good works if we don't meet together. If we're never close enough to do any bothering. A recent poll relates that over half the people who say, I go to church, come every week, once a week. Half. Of the other half, most of that other half comes less than once a month. Does that make sense? So less than once a month is a large portion of the half that doesn't come every week. In other words, there's a large amount of people who would say, I go to church, but they're like Christmas and Easter attenders. And I thought, when I saw that stat, I thought, yeah, well, that's probably true of lots of churches, but that's not true of this place. When I look around, I see the same people all the time. That's not true of this place. So doing what I do, uh, what I like to do for some reason, is I just dug into a whole bunch of numbers. And I pulled up in our database and I looked at attendance. And you know what? It's true. It's true. About half our people come every week. And about half our people don't. And of those, they come less than once a month. And so as, as, as one of the pastors here, I just wonder why. Like, there's good reasons. And, and I know some of you, and you have good reasons. I'm not, like, judging you or anything. It's just, those are the statistics. And we have good reasons. We're busy. And some of you, I don't understand your busyness. Like, I have no way of understanding the life that you live because I don't live it. Or, or we have problems fitting in. We don't know our spot here. We don't know other people, and so we're not sure that we really even want to be here. It's difficult for us to get here. A another really good reason is wounding. Some of you may have been wounded by the church, and you genuinely don't want to be here because you don't want to get wounded again. And so we have good reasons for not being here. Let me tell you, the... The original readers of Hebrews, they had good reasons to not be there. The top of their list was fear of discrimination and persecution. So in the first century, the Roman government, they weren't persecuting Christians in the sense that they weren't throwing them to the lions yet. That wasn't happening. What was happening was like a local soft persecution. Um, so, so if you didn't worship the local gods, if you didn't... If you didn't participate in the pagan feasts, if you didn't say Caesar is Lord, you would be ostracized from the community. 
They wouldn't do business with you. They wouldn't hire you. And now if you can't get hired, if you can't do business, how are you supposed to eat? So there was this persecution. There's all this trouble that came up in their lives because they wanted to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, for them in the first century, life would have been a whole lot easier if they would have just quit Jesus altogether, at least hide it. And so that's why the author of Hebrews, he writes a letter and he's, he says you can't quit on Jesus because Jesus is better than all of those things. He's better. They had good excuses, but he doesn't pull punches. He doesn't feel sorry for them. As a matter of fact, the way the author of Hebrews kind of works it is, is abandoning the church is abandoning Jesus. It's the same thing. You, you can't have... You can't have Jesus without His church. You can't. You need both. And we don't get to quit on Jesus because things are hard, and they have been hard, haven't they? They've been hard. Harder for some of us than others, but they have been hard. Life is hard, but, but this leaves no room for excuses. It, it leaves none. Why? Because gathering at church is not just nice, it's necessary. Look, look at the end of verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead what you should do is you should encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Draw near to God. Draw near to one another. Why? Because the day is drawing near. The day. In, in your Bible, that word day might be capitalized. And if it is, your translator is trying to help you understand what's going on there. What's going on there is the author of Hebrews is using the day the same way that the Old Testament, Old Testament prophets used the day. See, there's coming a day, the day of the Lord. When the Lord Jesus is going to return and He is ultimately going to put an end to evil. Sin will be no more. Brokenness will be no more. Pain will be no more. Cancer will be no more. Pandemics will be no more. Sad tears will be no more. The old is passing away. There is a new that is coming. And when the Lord Jesus comes, He's going to put all of His enemies underneath His feet. All of those who have been wicked and have not confessed Him as Lord, He is going to judge them and He is going to pour out His wrath on them. And their torment will be eternal. That is the day of the Lord. And so the Old Testament prophets write and the New Testament apostles write and they warn us, you don't want to be on the wrong side at the day of the Lord. And we don't know when that day is coming. The, the Lord Jesus, He tells us, I'm coming and I'm coming like a thief. Do you know when good thieves come? When you don't expect it. Bad thieves get caught. He's coming when we don't expect it. We don't know. The day is drawing near. Every day we're a little bit closer. So we don't have time to have our priorities out of whack. We don't have time for that. The day is coming. The church isn't just a nice thing to do. 
It's not just like the good old-fashioned American thing to do. I go to church. And I sing some songs, pay my respects to the man upstairs. I go home, put some shorts on, eat some chicken, take a nap. Right? Church, hey, that is nice. But church isn't just a nice thing to do. Hebrews 10 tells us it's not just nice. It's necessary. It is a must. The day is drawing near. We cannot live without it. Because we have a better priest. We have a, a better covenant. We have a better sacrifice. So, so what are we going to do about it? The world is threatening to undo us. What are we going to do? We're going to draw near. We're going to hold on to hope. And we're going to draw near to one another. Because look, we say it all the time. We are better together. We are better together. And, and because of that, we know that we need one another. And that's why we have central groups. Because the reality is we've been talking about church in here this whole time. And you're like, hey, uh, can I be exempt? I'm here right now. Can I be exempt from this? Um, yeah, but here's the thing about that. We've been talking about the, the meeting the whole time. But you could come to church here. You could walk in the door. Nobody ever talked to you. You never talked to anybody else. Nobody knows your name and you don't know anybody else's name unless somebody flashed it up there on the screen. It could happen. And there's, there's people out there that's like, I know two people's names because their names were on the screen. You could do that. So is that what the author of Hebrews had in mind when he said, don't neglect meeting together? Is it about attendance? I think drawing near together, the meeting isn't just about attendance. It's about being known and knowing other people. If you're just going to come in and nobody's going to talk to you and you're not going to talk to anybody else, you should probably just watch online. It's, it's easier and you can watch it in your PJs. That's not what the author of Hebrews had in mind, though. What we've come to believe is that the spiritual heart has three major arteries. The truth of God's Word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the soil of God's people. And if you don't plant yourself in the soil of God's people, you're going to shrivel up and you'll never be all that God wants you to be and you'll never experience all that God wants you to experience. God has designed us in such a way that we are not meant to live our lives alone. As a matter of fact, one of the first things God tells man when He creates him, it's not good for you to be alone. And the wisdom literature in the Old Testament echoes that. We are meant to live life with people who are going to make us better. People that are going to help us walk with Jesus. People that are going to hold us accountable. And people that are going to push us and drive us to be all that God has designed us to be. People centered around God's Word. People that live and breathe prayer. We call that biblical community. God has, has designed us in such a way that we need to be in close-knit relationships with other Christians. But here's what's happened. What we're seeing in our world, we, we've seen it, is that people have been disconnected. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but like lockdowns and masks and telling people it's not safe to be close to other people, that'll do it. And so we've been disconnected and we forgot how badly we need other people. And so when we come back and we start to realize that we need other people, you, you realize 
I don't want to lose that again. I was just going through the motions before, but now I don't want to lose that. And a lot of you have experienced that, that coming back realization. I remember when we first started meeting again last year, uh, we were shut, we were locked down for like two, two months. And we were going to start meeting together on campus and we, we planned out, you, you guys would have fallen asleep in these meetings where we're trying to plan out every movement you people were going to make and how do we make sure everybody stays six feet apart? How do we do that? And we're going to spray down chairs in every other row. We even planned out how we've had arrows on the floor telling you where to walk. And then we, we planned out how you're going to leave this place. And you remember Alan says, go with God, but go. And he says, out the right doors. Because you guys are going to go out that door and you're going to go row by row. And, and you guys on this side are going to go out that door and you're going to go row by row out there. And then we stood here and we told you, like every week we told you, do not gather in the parking lot when you get out there. Get in your car and go home. They've told us it's not safe. And what did you people do? You ignored us. I don't know why you're clapping. <laughs> the uprising in here. You may as well have had a barbecue out there. I, you know, but, but why? You know the reason why. Coming in here and listening to a sermon and music is really important. It's important and you need it for your soul, but that's not it. That's not it. You need other people in your life and you knew it. That's why you wouldn't leave. And this is why over the last year, something really weird has happened at our church. There have been several Sundays, so let me give you some context. Church, church gurus, whatever those guys do, they tell you how to run your church the best way. What, what they say is that if you have a group's ministry, your group's needs to be running about 80% of your worship attendance. Um, if you do that, you're killing it. So what that looks like, some of you are like, I have no idea what you just said. If there were a hundred people at worship right now, if we had 80 people meeting in a small group, then they would say, you're doing a great job. Of course there's room for improvement, but you're doing a great job. Over the last year, there were several Sundays where we had more people in groups than we had in worship services. More. Like 110%. Why? It's because you knew you needed each other. That's, that's what makes this church so awesome. You knew you needed each other, so you're like, I, I don't know if I can make the worship service, maybe I'll watch online, but, but I've got to make sure I'm at my group. You knew it. You knew that you needed each other. That's why we have central groups. Here's what we're doing with central groups. We're designing our groups to be places where people connect, protect, and grow. Our groups are places where people can connect. They're like spiritual families that kind of mimic real families. Our, our groups do the same things that real families do. They, they love one another. They laugh together. They, they cry together. They pray together. They eat together. They play together. They're little spiritual families where people can get connected. Groups are places where people can find protection we protect one another. We have each other's backs. My son Charlie did not have my back at Schlitterbahn. And I'm not bitter, but I'm still peeling. 
Not so with central groups. Because we speak truth to one another. We protect each other from sin. We come through when there's a need. I tell our group leaders all the time that they're the first line of pastoral care. If something happens in one of their group members, they're the first ones there. What we want to happen is that the pastors are second. We're the second ones there. The group's already taking care of it. And we just kind of partner in with them. My group is a place where if something goes down, I know that I can call. I can send out a text. I know that they'll pray immediately. They'll drop what they're doing and pray. I know that they'll bring a meal. They'll watch the kids. They'll come over. They'll do whatever they need to do because we have each other's backs. They're places where we protect. And groups are also places where we grow. We push each other to know God, to know His Word. We push each other towards greater Christ-likeness. Studies have shown that real life change occurs among other people. And I don't necessarily just mean like spiritual. Some of you know this because I've seen your social media accounts. And you're participating in exercise programs and and diets and all these different things. And you know that real life change habits are formed in the context of groups, not by yourself. That's true about human nature It's true spiritually. Healthy habits are formed in the context of community. See, our groups are places you want to be. They're life-giving, not life-taking. So many times in this world, the church is guilty of it too. So many times in this world, we ask things of you. And we ask you to do things that are life-taking. And you'll do them because you feel like it's your duty to do it. But if you had the choice, you wouldn't ever choose that. Like at, a, at, at my kid's basketball game, when the coach looks up in the stands, is like, I need somebody to, to run the scoreboard, and everybody's trying not to make eye contact. There's always one parent that's like, fine, I'll do it. That's not what we want for our groups. We want our groups to be life-giving, not another event to attend. Oh my goodness, we don't need more things on the calendar. Not necessarily another event to attend, but a people to belong to. Do you see the difference between coming in here to worship and checking a box that I attended or belonging to a people? That's what the author of Hebrews has in mind. It's not about attendance, it's about being known. And so for this reason, we have all kind of groups at Central. Uh, we, we have one category of groups that we call ABF. If you're new, you're like, what now? So then I say, we have adult Bible fellowships. And then you say, come again? And then I say, we have Sunday school. And if you're old school, you're like, okay, got it. Um, if, you're not, uh, if you're not old school, you're not church, whatever, we have small groups that meet. They meet 945 on Sunday morning, and there's a lot of benefits to being a part of, a, of an ABF. One of those benefits is... That there's built-in child care that's actually not just child care. Your kids get, get a message. They get a lesson about God's Word that maybe they wouldn't get otherwise if you didn't bring them. And that's built into the system. It's also, um, it's not another thing to fit on your schedule because you're sitting right here right now. If you had just come a little bit earlier in an hour, you could have, you could have been a part of a group and you're not having to find another day, another time. To go somewhere else. It's built in. We also have groups for most demographics. I bet you, if you'll come talk to me, I bet you we can find you at least one group, maybe two groups that you fit into that you might enjoy. 
But I realize that, that there are a lot of reasons why you can't make ABF happen. Uh, maybe you're teaching, serving, working with kids or something. You can't make 945 happen. So for that reason, we started another category of groups called midweek groups. Those groups are like, you know, you go to the, the restaurant and you're like, I want to create your own taco. You know, midweek groups are create your own taco. You pick the people. You pick the place. You pick the time. You pick what you do when you're there. I'll help you. I'll support you. I'll show you what to do. But you get to pick it and do what you want. Midweek groups are a fantastic place to find biblical community. We kicked off this ministry a couple of years ago. And a lot of those groups, we, we have like 16, 17 groups rolling at that time. And a lot of those have just kind of shriveled up. You know, when you tell people don't meet together, they stop meeting together. Um, and what I'm saying here from the platform right now is it's time for some of those groups to wake up. Uh, you, you had a group and, and it shriveled and, and it probably should have. But now's the time. Let's, let, let's open back up. Let's see if we can, we can get those groups going again. Maybe you want to start one. Now's the time. Maybe you want to just be a part. I don't want to start one, but I really want to be a part. Now's the time. Now's the time to dive in. Now's the time to be a part of whether Sunday morning or in any other time kind of group. Now's the time to do it. So this is July, still, still July. August 29th, August 29th, we're going to have ABF block party. And the way that's going to happen is during the ABF hour, 10 o'clock, we're going to meet right out there in the parking lot, and every group is going to have a space, a welcome space, and everyone's going to be out there, everybody. Um, so what you'll have the opportunity to do is see all the groups out there and all their welcome spaces where they're trying to welcome you, show you what their group is like. This is what our group is like. And they're, they're going to create, it's going to be fun, um, enjoyable place to be. And, and it's going to, we're going to have food and music and, and to kind of incentivize a group. Some of you are in groups and you're like, this is the first I've heard of this. Yeah, because I told your leaders last week, give them a break. But, uh, I'm going to incentivize you to create your space. And the way that we're going to do that is, um, uh, we're going to take a vote and the group that's got the best, the best space gets breakfast tacos on a Sunday of their choosing. Can't vote for your own group. Big groups are like, oh, we got this. Nope. You actually had a disadvantage. Uh, but here's the deal. We're going to do that and we're going to have so much fun. But the purpose of it is we get to see one another and we get to kind of fellowship a little bit. Just one Sunday a year, we're going to fellowship. But also, if you're new and you don't have a group, you can go and see what groups there are without, like, standing out. Like, I'm the new person. Here I am. You can go see what other groups there are. Another, another type of person might be the person like you're in a group and you haven't made your comeback yet. Uh, this is a great time for you to make your comeback. Like you can just show up and like stand there with your group and be like, been here the whole time. Like now's your time to do it. You can, you can come back in now. Or, or maybe you're just like overall disconnected. You've been here for decades. Uh, but you're, you're just kind of disconnected and I'm on a roster somewhere, maybe, or whatever. Now's the time. What else is out there? You're not stuck in the group that you're in. Look and see what else is there and see if, if there's a place that better fits your need. Um, we're going to have a space for midweek groups. So you look around, you're like, really, Sunday night would work better for me. There's, a, there's just going to be one space where you can let us know, hey, I'm interested in a midweek group, and we'll be in contact about that. We've got some new groups starting up. New ones. New places where everybody's new. You're not the only one that's like, I'm showing up to something you've known each other for like 30 years. You're, you're, you're new. They're new. It'll be a great place to plug in. So here's how we're wrapping up today. When you came in the room, you were given a card, one per family. 
is all you need. Um, if you do not have one, if you did not receive one, you can raise your hand. And uh, Renee and Steve have some. They'll, they'll pass them out. Just raise your hand. They're in the back. Raise your hand. They've also got um, some pins. If you need a pin, you can also raise your hand let them know. Do not fill the card out yet. Some of you are overachievers. You sat down and filled it out. Totally fine. Totally fine. But what I want right now is I want all your attention. Give me all your eyes right now. I feel like I'm coaching youth sports. Give me your eyes. Okay? Listen. We're going to fill this card out, and I'm asking for complete honesty from you. Um, It's also available online. If you don't want to fill one out, a card or something, online, centralrr.com slash better together. Slash better together. You're going to fill this card out. Name, email, phone number. Please write legibly. We did this kind of thing two years ago, and some of you have the worst handwriting. And I didn't know who you were how to contact you, please write where I can read it. I'm going to read every single one of these. And then you're going to check all that apply. And one of these boxes applies to everyone in the room. Okay? The first one is this. I'm in a group right now, and I'm happy there. If that's you, you check that box, and then you're supposed to tell me the name of your group. The reason I I want you to do that tell me the name of your group, is, is so that I know where you're connected at. If you don't know the name of your group, tell me names of people who are in your group. If you don't know the name of your group and you don't know the names of people in your group, you're not in that group. <laughs> but the reason I want you to do that is I, I want to celebrate with you. We had a, a message about connecting with one another. And, and when you check that box, I'm going to read that and I'm going to praise God because that's what you say you're, you've accomplished. That's what you're doing. And I want to celebrate with you. The next box is I would like to learn about being in an ABF. That's our 9.45 a.m. study time on Sunday morning. If you're interested in learning about that, by checking that box, you're not committing to anything. All you're saying is, I'd like more information. And I'll follow up with more information. Okay, so if that's you, check that. If if the next one's true, it's the same, midweek groups. I would like to learn about being in a midweek group. You're not committing to be in one. You're checking, saying, I want more information about that. The next box that you could check is, I want to learn about being a leader. There's two parts of information, uh, two words in there that's very important. The first one is learn. You're not committing to lead anything. Um, and I'm not committing to allow you to lead anything. Uh, but you want to learn about, you want more information. And the next word that's important there is the word leader. Notice it doesn't say teacher. Now some of you are teachers. You are Bible teachers. And, and maybe what God's doing is He's calling you out of, of sitting and soaking and now it's time to teach. And you're not exercising your gift, and maybe now it's time to exercise your gift. Maybe that's what God's doing, but that's not all that we're looking for is more teachers. We're also looking for leaders, organizers, gatherers, the more administrative-minded people, facilitators. Those are the kinds of people. You might say, I don't know if I can teach the Bible, but I can gather people. I want to know. You can lead a group. Let me help you. Let me show you how. Um, That might be you. You want more information about that, you can check a box. And the last one on there, and I'm not joking about this one, I'm dead serious. The last one on here, 
um, I'm going to ask for some, some courage and some honesty from you. The last box is I'm not interested in being in a group. You, you may have legitimate reasons. And, and that's why I want you to check that box. I promise I won't follow up with you and make you feel guilty. I promise I won't curse your name when I read that and throw the card behind me in the trash can. I want to know who's out there. I want to know what's going on in our church. And so if you would be honest enough to check that box, it would really help. But before we fill these out, what I want to do is I want to pray. And so bow your head, close your eyes, center yourself for just a second. I want to pray. You can pray with your family. You can pray by yourself. But I want you to talk to the Lord yourself. I want, I want you to talk to the Lord about the idea of you being involved in a group. And what your level of involvement may be, when, where, how, who. And as you pray, I want you to start to hand Him all of the reasons why not. I want you to hand the Lord your busyness. I want you to hand the Lord your calendar. I want you to hand Him your wounding. I want you to hand Him your reservations. Hand Him your skepticism. I'm an introvert. I can't do this. Hand that to the Lord. He knows. He made you. He knows. And what's going to happen is you're going to pray. The band is going to sing a song as you pray and as you fill out that card. And when we're done here, Jared's going to come wrap us up. And on the way out, there's a red bucket. You can drop your card in that red bucket and we'll, we'll sort them later. So let me pray for you as we continue in this time.